Well, hello and welcome to the Catherine Plano podcast, where we share tips, tricks, tools, and strategies that you can implement in your life for massive improvements. Every week, we have change instigators, compelling creators, and interesting humans who are breaking the cycle of convention and redefining success one mission at a time. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life. Now let's jump into your weekly dose of practical goodness. You know, I have really come to assess with compassion the place that we are in as women and men, um, and especially to look at how as women we are um, competing with men because we've been programmed to do so by, in my opinion, the psyop of feminism, uh, and we are also um, competing with women, right? So we're competing with each other, which means that everyone is a potential enemy, right? Which means that safety is anathema to our existence. And it already was by virtue of our biology. So no wonder, you know, we're, we're flailing and, um, wired and exhausted and bitter and resentful and chronically disappointed. pondered the power of embracing every part of yourself, both the shadows and the light. Dr. Kelly Brogan illuminates this journey, revealing the transformative impact of integrating feminine and masculine energies for a more authentic life. She delves into the essence of self-care, challenging societal norms, and the art of navigating judgment with wisdom and practical exercises. From fostering inner safety to exploring judgment as a path to growth, Dr. Brogan offers insights into reclaiming femininity and cultivating self-compassion. This conversation is a guide to embracing your full self, providing tools for personal empowerment and fulfillment in a world that often urges us to choose sides within ourselves. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on what side of the world you are sitting on at this very moment. We have another amazing guest for you. We have the beautiful Dr. Callie Brogan. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's an honor to have you here. So as we always love to start the shows, we always love to ask our guests, what inspired you to do what you do today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, uh, I suppose it depends how much I'd like to zoom out to answer that question, because I am a believer, as I know many are at this point, that I chose the particular challenges and experiences of adversity that I experienced in childhood so that I could enjoy the delightful alchemical potential of those wounds and really come onto the other side of that contrast. And so my mantra, if there is one, is reclamation, right? Pretty much everything that I am about these days on a personal level and a professional level carries that title. 
And the only reason that is so is because I had an experience, as so many of us do, and I would say particularly women, of feeling forsaken, you know, uh, if that's a word I could put on it. And to have the opportunity to reclaim myself, to choose myself, to honor and cherish myself, to devote to myself, and in doing so, to find God, you know, um, is about the most exciting adventure I could potentially sign up for. So I, I think it would track back to to that point on the meta level, on the sort of more mundane level. I think what has inspired me to, I think specifically work with women in the reclamation space is just like a deep love for women. <laughs> I don't know. I just find... I find certainly find men extraordinary as well, but I, I, um, when I am in the presence of a woman who is alive and who is running, you know, eros through her body, you know, whether she's singing or dancing or sharing from her heart, um, mothering, you know, cooking, whatever it is, creating, I mean, I just am in awe. And when I am around a woman, sometimes including myself, who is contracted or rigid or in some sort of shape that feels um, hardened, armored, it it hurts. You know, like the other day I was at a store, I was at the Apple store actually, and I not, this is not an endorsement, and I was uh, waiting, right? And so I'm like sitting kind of like quasi annoyed waiting for, for something. And this older man across from me gets up to leave. Right. And he, he leaves me, he drops me a note as he's walking out of the store and the note says, smile period. You are beautiful. God bless you. Right. And I was thinking, I was like, wow. First of all, I felt a little ashamed that I must've had like some sort of resting bitch face on. I don't know. But then I also, I also related, you know, to what it is to be around a woman who isn't animating that energy. It hurts. It actually does. And we collectively suffer for it. So to, to ignite and enliven and otherwise, you know, uh, activate that chain of inspiration that we as women can offer each other. It, it, I just can't think of anything I would rather, um, dedicate myself to. And of course, the first point of entry for me was around reclamation from a system, if you will, that we consent to uh, that is really um, predicated on our own lockdown, our own imprisonment. And you know that would be the allopathic medical system. And so a lot of my early work was focused on that. And more recently, I've become interested in how you can be healthy on paper, right? You can be off all your meds and diagnosis free and somehow still be in your patterns, whether it's in relationship, your patterns with money, um, your patterns with personal self-censorship that seems sometimes unaffected by the fact that now you don't have a diagnosis or pills or appointments to attend. And what is that about? And that's what really drew me to the exploration of um, shame as a 
as a, a liability uh, energetically and as um, a tremendous source of vital force leakage, you know? And so what we can do with that to further alchemize, right? Um, wounds into gifts of expression. And that's been, really been a lot of my more more recent interest. Wow. There is in so many different directions I, I would like to go with this, but I have to say you gave me goosebumps because it is about when we're talking, when you were speaking about the focus on you uh, and reclaiming you, it's, I find, and I'm not going to just speak for myself. I'm sure there's a lot of women out there as well. There's a real guilt component uh, to focusing on you because it's it's almost like I know for myself I've only just started doing that um, and you know I think it's always been as a mother giving you're always giving to others and making sure everybody else is happy but the way that you spoke with such I felt this real centeredness this real groundness about you um, was there ever a time that there was a level of resistance there was a level of guilt when you were going through like it's about you it's about your time it's about you're in you you embodying you hmm. so i have um played both the narcissist and the codependent right and I, I i would wager most of us have right we might identify with one end of the spectrum more than the other um and of course it feels way better to be the empath codependent than to be pinned as a narcissist these days right so we we <clears throat> Uh, sort of victim coddle, in my opinion, a lot in the uh, description of ourselves as empaths. And I mostly consider it all need meeting, right? So we have our needs and we meet them. <laughs> we meet them manipulatively and covertly or directly. Uh, and sometimes through, you know, overt expression. And sometimes we just are so focused on what it is that we need, that we're like a starving individual who's been presented with a couple of crumbs. And of course, we're going to like, you know, throw them into our our face. Um, so the sort of early days of my self-care were pretty like spiritualized. I trained in Kundalini Yoga and I developed like a, an interest in early morning meditation practice. And it was like rather lengthy, you know, like 40 minutes or something. And my kids were young at the time and I made it really clear to them that, that, that they should not like fuck with me during that time period, right? Like that was my time and I was serious about it. And I was legitimized around the claim on that time. Uh, as I became more interested in dance and in, you know, what might be considered less spiritually utilitarian and more pleasure oriented. Um, I began to like teach my daughters about the importance of that as well. Right. So I, I created a field of legitimacy for that interest. And you could say, as I look back on it, you know, that I was, um, choosing to virtue place, you know, wherever it was that I was aligning the goodness there, right? So like, it's a good thing to meditate. That's why I'm going to do it, right? It's a good thing to take care of yourself. It's a good thing to follow your pleasure. Um, it's a bad thing to be a workaholic. Well, it used to be a good thing for me to be a workaholic and now it's a bad thing, right? So, so I have found myself like sort of attempting to navigate through 
an ongoing maze of good and bad dichotomy, like good and bad polarization. Uh, and in fact, a lot of my more recent shadow work <laughs> in my life has been around seeing how how ugly mothering can get when you insist, especially with teenage children uh, or whatever, tweens and, and teens, when you insist that you know better than them how it is that they should care for their body, right? In terms of nutrition or sexuality or their dress or, you know, their relationships or whatever. Um, and it's, it's like under the umbrella of like, you know, I have experience and I'm here to tell you what is the good thing, right? So I think for me, <laughs> interestingly, the harder work um, has been in not necessarily um, being like well-identified with what my self-care looks like. And I think what I mean by that is like, sometimes it looks this way, right? Sometimes it looks like I'm doing face massage, you know, for an hour a day and this is my priority. Sometimes it looks like I'm going out with a friend. Sometimes it looks like I'm trying to perfect a pole dance routine, you know, for four hours in my living room. Um, sometimes it looks like sleeping until 9.30, right? Like sometimes it looks like watching TV. Sometimes it looks like not cooking dinner. Sometimes it looks like cooking dinner, right? And so that for me has been way more difficult than being the the rigid good self-care girl. And I think there's stages. I call it the maturation of the masculine, right? Like I do think initially when you develop an awareness that you are out of alignment in some arena of your life, your inner man has got a sh I don't know if I'm allowed to like use profanity and now I'm in my profanity <laughs> moment cuz Okay. It's like, I would say has got to show the fuck up, right? Like your inner husband, your inner father, your, whatever you relate to, right? At different times, your inner king, like that masculine has to show up and take the wheel. And initially what I've observed, because it's a spiral path, is that whether it's around your relationship to food, whether it's around your relationship to technology, whether it's around you know, how it is that you relate to self-development, um, how it is that you are in your primary relationship, like that inner masculine shows up and there are often very rigid boundaries that are needed, right? So I, like so many people, ended a lot of relationships between 2020 and the present day, right? Friendships, romantic relationships, et cetera. And especially with friendships or dynamics with family who maybe didn't see the same reality that I did, um, it was necessary for me to find myself by saying, no, this doesn't work for me. Sometimes even a, a louder no than that. And then over time, as my spine grows and as I begin to trust myself, my own discernment and my fierce alignment with my yes and my no, Right. As I stop saying yes when I feel a no, and I stop saying no when I feel an inner yes, then those rigid boundaries like really aren't as necessary because I've got me and I can be really anywhere and find safety. I mean, I certainly am not at that level, but that's the I think that's what I feel is possible. Right. So, like, you know, I used to for 10 years followed like an extremely strict diet, like a paleo type of diet, right? 
no gluten, dairy, and sugar for like 10 years. Um, and after a certain point, it was not an elective choice, right? It was a dogma. It was, it stemmed from an ideology and there was no acknowledging that maybe there might be a feeling, um, that came through me, which ultimately did, you know, years ago where I was like, I don't want to eat meat anymore, you know, or then six months ago, I was like, actually now I do. <laughs> right. And so that feeling is my feminine, right? Like that feeling is, uh, my intuition. That feeling is my inner, like mysterious walking in the dark, um, type of navigation. And if I don't have an inner masculine attuned to that, noticing that attending to that, then all I have is the rigid rule follower, right? But the rigid rule follower has a role certainly in the beginning and for an untold period of time until there is a readiness for the dynamic, I think, between this very prismatic feminine um, that's always changing and shifting to to be able to um, feel safe, trusting that masculine to decide and navigate uh, depending on whatever is is coming through. And so, yeah, I think I think there's an an arc. Uh, and where I've arrived at now with like self-care and putting myself first, I'm a big believer in what I call sacred selfishness. Um, there's a book by the same title by Bill Harris. That's it's just exactly what I have come to, which is that if you don't devote to yourself, you are incapable of actually attuning to another, maybe even loving another, um, outside of the realm of projection, uh, and, you know, self-knowledge, self-intimacy is the foundation for being able to navigate and serve, you know, others in, in connection. So, you know, coming to a place where my self-care is really something I feel into every day rather than a, a, a more rigid rule book for me has been more challenging because it means in every moment, you know, with my daughters or whatever, I may, I may be in a position to ask for what I need and I may not have led, um, sort of laid the foundation for it being understood that this is important, you know. However, if I was like this at the beginning of my self-care journey, I think it would have been a mess, you know, like a total hot mess. Um, I think I, I, for me and for most of the women I work with, there is that, that phase where you show up hardcore, you establish the integrity of your word, you know, the power of your capacity to commit your intention and execution, your follow-through, right? And you you have impeccability, you develop mastery in that realm, in these masculine competencies, because then as they soften, as they become more dynamically responsive, you, you, you do so from, it's like the flexibility of a spine, right? Like you do so from the knowledge that the bones are there. I love the way that you describe that. And I had a bit of a, a, an etheric slap just then, so thank you. Um, because I think that also what you were speaking about, and, and I think that's why I brought up about the whole guilt thing, is because it's something I've only come to an understanding of uh, today. Uh, and I'm 57 and I have a son who's 30. So it's for me, it's um, I've always been the giver. And I, I love the fact that it was what meeting needs, because I call myself an empath, right? And, yeah. and it's it's because I'm always picking up on you know other people's vibes. Oh, you know what? It's it's and maybe it's just a need, an unconscious need, without even me recognizing that it was a need. 
But it's for the first time last year, I went on a seven-day fasting retreat in Thailand. And mm. it was the first time I've ever done anything for me, ever, in my whole entire wow. life. And, um, but also I had so many awakenings because I was on my own. I was just with me and my thoughts. And I had so many realizations that I have come back now and I'm very much about me. It's about me without the guilt. But it took that extreme, going to that almost like almost like a, a dark night of the soul. It was, yeah. I had to go to that place and be brought down to my knees before I come to where I am today. Why do you think we need to do that? Why do you think we need to go to the dark to find the light? Mm-hmm. I would call it um, a pattern disruption. You know, like I would call your fast or, you know, my, my, I have a protocol uh, called vital mind reset and that's what I've understood it to be. It's a, it's a pattern disruption of pretty epic proportions. And what is achieved through that is, and why it can feel like a dark night, right. Uh, Or give way to one, I think is because of the disorientation and confusion um, and the identity dissolution that can attend the disruption of our normal defenses. So when you said, you know, you consider yourself an empath and you're like feeling into everybody's stuff all the time, right? One perspective is also that that's like enmeshment trauma, as it's like called in psychology, because, you know, I certainly relate to that. And it's it's the um, well well-honed uh, capacity to assess and feel into what somebody else's inner world might consist of strategically, right? So the need you're meeting, and I meet when I am in that mode, um, is for safety, right? So if, if I can read the not only the room, but the individual in front of me, and I can um, leave myself, right, sufficiently to enter them, then I share a reality with them. And if you grew up, you know, like I did, then sharing a reality with your parent, colluding, you know, with them is way safer than attempting to assert yourself as an individual, right? That, you know, with different feelings and different thoughts, that that was not um, a safe strategy for most of us in childhood. So to disrupt these patterns leaves us momentarily defenseless, right? Like it it leaves us without our usual strategies for securing safety. And that can be like terrifying. I mean, it can be horrific. Um, Yeah, extraordinarily so. And so the, um, the faith that you you may contact with in, in those ashes is that you will somehow rise again and you don't know what that will look like. Um, so there really is a a moment of saying like of the sacred surrender, right? This devotional surrender saying like, I, I don't know, but I feel it's possible that something perfect, you know, could arise from, this place. And that's a, often we call expansion, right? So the polarities of that contraction um, and fear giving way to, you know, this um, n- new, uh, bigger, bolder version of self, I think is, it, that's the spiral, right? So it happens over and over 
and over again. Yeah, I do. I feel that way. I feel like I, even though I'm only five foot four, I feel like I have grown <laughs> quite, quite a fair bit since that whole experience. And I have to say that also it's made me realize and how much I wasn't standing in my truth, stand, embodying what I was experiencing. So mm. I, was, I was disconnected from the self because I wasn't really acknowledging that there was so much resistance in every every aspect of my life actually that um, I was just being a people pleaser and making sure that everyone else was happy. But it's also I think societal conditioning as well. You know, you've got to be the good mother. You've got to be the good partner. You've got to, you know. So I think there was, once you let go of all that and just center yourself and then, in, and you need to, well, I had to go to extreme fast for seven days in the, in the middle of nowhere to actually just sit with yourself and actually embody yeah. everything you are experiencing was scary. Like you said, scary, like frightening, but at the same time, exciting. Like that dichotomy of of that light and dark, it's almost like there was, moments of darkness but in that darkness I could see the potential light which was amazing absolutely amazing yeah and that's what I think you know a lot of the female shamans call like walking in the dark and especially our capacity as women to feel into that invisible light you know I think it's um it's not even a, a, a like a skill that we cultivate uh it's it's like something we remember you know that that we are able to do and here to do and i'm a big believer in like um this sort of chain of inspiration i referenced earlier between women and i have had that feeling many many times over in my several um dark nights you know where where i feel like a woman's hand it could like bring tears to my eyes just to to feel the gratitude for that, you know, like I feel a woman's hand in the dark, um, through a coach or, you know, someone who is ready to like support me in my creativity journey or just like, and it's not to say I haven't been helped and taught by men, but there's like a special, uh, transmission that I think happens that feels like, oh yes, this is, this is the wildness that we have and we we cannot access it and we will feel like we are starving and exhausted and just like dizzy with how um, wildly wrong everything feels, you know, uh, until we can make contact with, with that again. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I fasted myself about a year ago, a uh, year and a half ago, for nine days, I did a water fast. And um, I mean, I have so much to say about that. However, what I will say is that I met the part of me um, that doesn't even want to be here, you know, that is like, I don't, I'm not, I'm no longer interested in this incarnation, right? It's like, um, you know, and I, now I think of that, you know, with my understanding, I'm a big, big fan of David Data's work, if you know his work. And, um, you know, he talks about, in my best understanding, you know, how suicidality is is often a masculine impulse towards the void of nothingness that is relief from the pressure and chaos of form, right? And and so to to feel that, that nihilistic sense of like, just fuck all of this, you know, um, if you don't act on it and not that there's a value judgment either way, you know, but if you don't, um, 
it can be an initiation, right? Because then you move beyond what it is that you imagine you can't capacitate, you somehow do, and your masculine matures just a bit more. Um, but I will say that being with my, in the fast that I did, that, you know, I, I was by myself in my house. I, there was no, you know, reading or working or none of nothing, doing nothing other than sipping water all damn day long. And, uh, I, I don't think I've ever been with myself that way. You know, I can be alone very easily, you know, if I have a book, <laughs> right? um, let alone a computer and a notepad, you know, but to just simply be with myself as you're referencing with no Dharma, talk, I've done Vipassana too, no Dharma talks, no nothing. Um, it was a kind of hell. And what does that mean, right? What that probably means is that I've been running from myself my entire life in all of these socially normative ways, um, podcasts and chatting with girlfriends and, you know, making dinner for my kids and, and whatever else. Um, if, if it, if it hurts that badly to simply be with myself unfettered, like I'm walking around with that reality <laughs> right at the core of my beingness and, you know, so again, I think of that as the masculine maturation because to be present to what is, um, to offer my attention to what is, I, I simply wasn't ready, you know, at that point to provide that in any capacity to myself. And perhaps because of that experience, um, not unlike your own, you know, that shifted. That's, um, you know, for me, I think about it um, in the sense that um when you were talking about the masculine and feminine aspect and I think that my whole life I've kept myself so busy so that I didn't have to face the reality that I need to face which is what took place and so I used to always say be and I it's funny we teach what what we must learn right so yeah. all of this stuff that I'm teaching over these years is really something that I needed to put into practice but it yeah. wasn't until I took myself out of the business which I now say be busy is a new stupid busyness it it was stop doing and just be and that was hard when you're just constantly running around you know whether it's business or you know podcasts or people or family to just stop and stay still and that is scary too because then you're faced with your own reality and your own shadows and your own stories that come up and you think I didn't even know that existed yeah yeah. And you don't have the addictive compensation of food, you know, like for me, that was the, um, I mean, that was just next level because silence is one thing, you know, I haven't, I haven't done a dark room retreat, but I imagine, you know, darkness is another thing, um, for me to strip away the distraction, the, um, addiction and the like genuine authentic fulfillment that food represents, Oh my, I mean, it's just, I was on my knees. I mean, I was like fantasizing about like, you know, Big Macs and, you know, pizza from, you know, 33rd street in Manhattan. And I, I just, uh, I just like lost myself in the deprivation. I mean, it was just humbling, very humbling. Mm, I love that. So there was one thing that I really wanted to uh, talk about, which I saw on um, Instagram is about reclaiming your femininity. Um, or reclaiming the woman that you are to be or, or even activating that female aspect, which I feel that 
is a really important topic for most of us because I feel that well definitely the people that I work with there's a disconnect whether it's a lot of women that tend to hang around with my maybe it's my agent going through menopause you know they'll say things like I'd rather you know mow the lawn than have sex with my partner or you know you hear these and it's quite funny but there there's meaning behind all of this uh these kind of jokes that they kind of throw yeah. out in the open but I'd really love to understand more about that and how do we tap into that aspect without with grace without the the heaviness of being a woman yeah yeah yes i have so much to say on this subject and it, it's mostly because it's become you know again the focal point as you're saying of of my process um and when that's where we teach best from right is the authentic uh you know so sort of this like this liminal space this little moment between learning something new about ourselves and wanting to crystallize it through sharing. I mean, I think, and especially as women, I think this is an essential part of our process um, and it makes it more real for us as we do so, right? So uh, this is a lot of what I've been exploring. And in doing so, I have really mm, created the conditions to confront some aspects of my conditioning that I... I wasn't expecting to look at, right? Including what it means to be a feminist um, and what my beliefs are about marriage as a woman who has been divorced twice, you know, um, including how I feel about words like submission. Uh, and, you know, I have really come to assess with compassion the place that we are in as women and men. Um, and especially to look at how as women, we are, um, competing with men because we've been programmed to do so by, in my opinion, the psyop of feminism. Uh, and we are also, um, competing with women, right? So we're competing with each other, which means that everyone is a potential enemy, right? Which means that safety is anathema to our existence and it, already was by virtue of our biology. So no wonder, you know, we're, we're flailing and, um, wired and exhausted and bitter and resentful and chronically disappointed. And no wonder our bodies have taken these, these rigid, hard shapes. And no wonder we are expressing through myriad chronic illnesses and so-called autoimmune diseases. And no wonder every single woman who ever sat in my office uh, when I was practicing as a psychiatrist in Manhattan, had a deeply held belief that something was very wrong with her, right? Irreparably damaged about her essence, her 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 very selfhood, right? So it this framework, right, um, helps us to understand why one in four women are medicated, uh, you know, walking around with their relationship to their own feminine nature captured, you know, by an industry that seeks to pathologize who it is that they are, right? Because I, I often say about psychiatry, it's, it's different from other disciplines because, you know, you can have diabetes and conceptualize there's something very wrong with your pancreas. I mean, your pancreas is a part of you. So to imagine that something is wrong with any of you, I think could be problematic. However, it's quite a different thing. It's a different caliber <laughs> of dilemma 
right? For you to identify with a psychiatric diagnosis um, that says actually something is wrong with you, how you, you, <laughs> right? Like your behavior, your cognition, your feeling states are actually maybe dangerous for yourself or other people. Uh, and then you take, you open a prescription bottle every day with your name on it that reinforces this idea that in fact, yes, something is quite wrong with you and uh, best to keep it un under wraps and comply. So there's some, some deep sorcery, you know, that we have the opportunity to engage with our own magic, right. And with our own capacity to play with these energies, should we awaken to our power as women? And so, you know, you might imagine, as I did, that the journey um, into a woman's, you know, power looks something like standing up for yourself, right? And, you know, proclaiming yourself queen <laughs> or whatever. Um, you know, you might also imagine that it looks something like I don't know, um, playing in the realms of rose petals and, you know, goddess circles and it's not to say there's a single thing wrong with any of, you know, those approaches, right? If you want to be a girl boss, um, if you want to be a soft girly, you know, if you want to be whatever shade in between and it's working for you and you feel fulfilled, um, fantastic, right? Like I'm here cheering you on. What I have found uh, is that I, I got all the things that feminism promised me. And I did all the things that a man can do bleeding, right? And better, you know, than many men can do them. And I arrived at this hollow space, right? This place where even the things I should be celebrating could be feeling fulfilled by felt a certain level of emptiness. Um, I describe it as feeling like I was living behind a glass wall, right? And then almost feeling confused, right? Like I have all these reasons to feel happy. Why, why am I still feeling something missing, right? Like what is it? Um, is it that I just have more and more layers of persona, like that mask is still on and I, uh, I just haven't arrived at my own authenticity. Yes. Like, yeah, sure. In part. Um, however, you know, what I have concluded is that until we can confer safety to ourselves and our systems, not completely, not in every moment, but until we have enough of a sense that that's available, I don't know that it's possible to express as a woman, to align with our feminine nature and essence, um, and to really come into the pleasure of what it is to be incarnated in these bodies. And so sort of the plot twist is that while we've been focusing on the rise of the divine feminine, right, my perspective has been that for very different reasons, both men and women alike have a great opportunity to strengthen our outer or inner masculine. And that absent that, there is no <laughs> um, expression of the feminine. And I don't really know if anyone, men or women, need help expressing the feminine, opening our hearts. I think we need help 
growing our spines, getting in touch with our dark predatory energy, you know, alchemizing it into effectiveness, you know, in our lifescape discernment and the exercising of choice. And I really think that, you know, what I've observed is that a man who is in his masculine strength, dominance and mastery always has an open heart, right? He can feel everyone's heart around him, right? Um, That's what makes him a trustworthy man. And that a woman who has self-husbanded, right? A woman who has shown up for herself and who has um, exhibited enough of an interest in defending and aligning with her felt yes and her felt no, it's like, it's like, she's like a geyser. You cannot possibly put a cap on, right? Like you you don't need, I don't need help, you know, um, bringing tears to my eyes, right? Like I don't need help feeling like the pleasure of my, my nails, you know, like touching my forearm. I don't need help femaling, (laughs) feminizing, right? Like I don't need help being a woman. Um, if I feel contained and if I feel, um, safety, in my system. And so that's a lot of what I focus on teaching, you know, in, in women's containers is two things, um, how to self-husband, right. And how to show up for yourself, um, in your masculine integrity. And my coach, I worked with my coach Whitney for several years and, um, have worked through this in, in my own, um, ways after being like already a very competent woman, So it's not the same as just being competent in your life. It's it's knowing what your needs are, how to ask for them, how to show up for your own feelings, and how to devote to yourself, right? As we were saying, um, so that your creative energy comes online. And for the creative energy to be um, given a wide berth, I think it's necessary for us to offer each other as women uh, permission field. And, you know, I just recently had an in-person, my first in-person event called audacious embodiment and, uh, Oh God, it was so extraordinary. And most of what happened, I brought 10 women who've held a hand out in the dark to me onto the stage. And these are some pretty unapologetic bitches, you know, and they, they stood on that stage and they gave permission to, you know, the women in the room, to access dimensions of themselves that maybe they thought they weren't allowed to by virtue of their self-concept, their pre-existing identity. And I think we need to do that for each other, right? Because if I um, it can be in the presence of a woman who has more aliveness moving through her body, then I have a bit more permission to do so um, and to resolve the gaslight of self-judgment for not feeling better about where I am in my life. Um, when in fact I have clamped down, you know, aspects of myself, put them in the closet. And then I find myself judging and competing with other women who are exhibiting that. Right. So it's like an inversion of that competition to say, yeah, there is a hierarchy, you know, um, you know, that, that can be very informative. And there are women around me who are, 
are more advanced in their, their womaning. <laughs> and it doesn't mean they're more right. It just means that they have more permission to express themselves than I've given myself. And so a lot of the practices that I um, encourage women to do are around entering through the upset, right? Whether it's that they are judging another woman or they're feeling judged and how it is that that can be an opportunity to make contact with a part of yourself that you might not otherwise have ever known was there. You know, the part that does in fact want to wear the red lipstick and the slutty heels or the part that does in fact want to just be a mom at home, you know, baking pies. <laughs> um, we will judge those women before we will meet the aspect of ourselves that has always kind of wanted permission to be that, you know? So from my understanding, a lot of it is the safety component. Cause I have to say that even when I left the, um, uh, in Thailand, when I left the, uh, retreat, I, for the first time in my life, I said, I trust you which I've never been able to say, I have your back and I love you. And I came home with a sense of safety, which I've never experienced before. So is that kind of like the foundation of what you were talking about? Oh, safety is 100%. Safety. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's why I would, I would wager that your, your fest was like a masculine initiation. First of all, it's a very masculine practice to begin with, you know, to fest. Um, yeah. And then, and then you, there's almost like this, you can almost hear the voice inside as you're describing those words, like, and, and it's like, I'm here, I'm here. I've got you. Yeah. That's amazing. And so when you're talking about uh, the judgment piece, we all do it. I mean, I still do it to this day and I know that I'm constantly Absolutely. projecting um, and I judge unconsciously uh, and I remember running a class once and, and we were talking about judgment and there's one lady said, I never judge. I said, okay. <laughs> and then when we had a break, I went up to her and said, what were your thoughts about me when you first saw me? And she goes, oh, I did it. I said, that's a judgment. Yeah. So yeah. we all do it unconsciously. It's just the way that we, I think, have been conditioned. So to not judge is a conscious practice, which which takes, I guess, well, consciousness, right, to be in the present, in the moment at all times. How do you go about doing that? Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a goal, um, to arrive at non-judgment. I mean, it's just not even something I would consider aspiring to, uh, because I do think this is how we are built to navigate. And I think, you know, if you take judgment and you add choice, <laughs> you, you have discernment and with discernment, you are assessing your yes and your no. You are exploring what's in front of you and you're saying, is that for me or is it not for me? And it's like a pretty uncharged orienting towards or orienting away from. It's not a pushing away. It's not a big fuck no. It's just sort of like, nah, that's not for me, right? And it's that kind of orienting away that relieves you of what I call the erotic caress of the enemy because most of us who have public platforms know that, I mean, there are people who can't possibly hate us enough. I mean, they keep coming back and back and back and back. I mean, I have folks like who literally have been writing blogs about me for years, you know, these, these dudes. And I'm like, they must be masturbating to me at night. Like they can't get enough of hating me. It's a very erotic dynamic. And it's, this is big in the activist world too, where we get into these, um, experiences of rejection that are, it's just such an active, intimate, uh, rapport 
right? That when you can compare that to simply like, no, nah, that's not for me. You feel like, God, it's so, it's so liberating, right? And so when I can recognize my power of choice in orienting towards or away from whatever it is that is in front of me, there is not this um, erotic potential that judgment in and of itself by its nature has. Um, however, you know, these days I consider like judgment a playground, you know, like when I um, feel judgmental of a man or a woman, which is every day, uh, every moment, you know, when I feel that inner yes, or I like that, or I don't like that. Okay. If we want to put it that way, I especially get excited about the, I don't like that, but I also get excited about the, I like that right? Because what is it that I am feeling in somebody else that I haven't given myself permission to, to recognize I might already have a little bit of, or maybe even a lot of, right? But the, I don't like that is particularly potent because I can really um, come to a powerful neutralization around that, which I've been rejecting, right? So if I don't like women who are sloppy or inarticulate or disorganized or late um, or stupid or whatever, then every time I have that upset, I have the opportunity to meet the part of me that is really insisting I'm not that and that I don't absolutely have permission to, to be that ever. Um, or that you should be punished for being that, which is conditioning, right? Like that, why is it that you aren't being punished for being that, right? And I think this is particularly uh, applicable to our experience of each other's sexuality, right? That 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 a lot of us, especially if you've been religiously conditioned um, or professionally conditioned, in my case, you know, have the belief that women should be punished for quote unquote using sexuality or demonstrating or expressing their sexuality in a certain way. And in, in holding that belief, we ourselves are objectifying, you know, those women and then complaining about how objectified women are right? like you're participating in exactly the warfare um, that you yourself are, you know, receiving like friendly fire from. So it's, um, it's it's it can be a very exciting uh, spiritual practice to work with judgment as an opportunity instead of attempting to like somehow transcend it or eliminate it or move beyond it, uh, you know, or, or even um, imagine that there's something fundamentally wrong with it, you know, to begin with. I love that. And I love the fact that you were talking. I mean, that takes a lot of accountability when you get triggered. That's shadow work. What part within me resides within me that I need to to light up? Um, and, you know, it takes also a lot of courage as well to have a look at anyone out there like you. I love the way that you put it. There's people out there that's been writing blogs about you. But once again, that just shows your level of, I call intelligence um, and intuitive intelligence and understanding that, Basically, what they're projecting, you know, they're basically it's it's a representation of their internal environment, and that hence why they're projecting it. So, and that's why it's really important for everybody out there that when and we've all gone through massive changes since twenty twenty. Uh, I too have lost family, friends, and so forth. Understanding that everyone's entitled to their own judgment, belief system, 
And then you have a choice at the end of the day. Do I choose to be part of this paradigm or do I choose not to? And I love the the way that you uh, describe that and so eloquently. Beautiful. Thank you. I am very conscious of your time. Uh, and I know that we are, I, I think we're going to have to get you back on the show because there's so many things I had here that I wanted to unpack. <laughs> Um, but I loved where this went. Uh, it was very, very powerful. And I know lots of people are going to love this. So as we wrap up the show, we always love to leave our audience with three shiny golden nuggets. So Kelly, what would be those three golden nuggets or practical exercises that you would like to leave for our audience today? Let's see. So I would say, uh, well, one thing I was going to add on the heels of what you just said is that, so this will be number one, uh, is to treat yourself as a woman the way the most perfect husband would create the conditions for your safety, right? So um, like when you talked about that choice that we can make, right? Like if I am treating myself as if I have a husband who's looking out for me, yeah, I'm a single woman. So it's easy for me to do this thought exercise, you know, and who's creating the conditions for me to never feel anything but pleasure and ease in my life, right? He's going to make choices for me that are going to optimize that, right? So so that means that I'm probably not going to put myself in situations where I'm just tolerating something or doing something because I think it's, you know, what does it hurt to just do it, right? And your caretaker, your inner rescuer, your inner savior gets smoked out that way because you're no longer um, sacrificing your own needs in service of another, which is also another way of saying, you know, giving to get. Um, so treat yourself the way, you know, your perfect husband would. And the second would be um, to what's called, like what I call enter through the upset, like to really commit to, again, that's that masculine virtue to prioritizing your felt experience as being your oracle, right? So when you feel a kind of way, you get an email, you have an interaction, you know, you see something, can you find a private space, literally go in a bathroom if you're at a restaurant or, you know, close your laptop if you're just sitting at your desk and you got a shitty email and set a timer for 30 seconds actually, okay? And simply track and attend to with interest whatever is happening sense-wise in your body. And, you know, if you want, you can ask your body, like, what is it that you want now? And you might find, you know, that your body wants to take a shape, right? Often when I do this practice, I find I want to like curl up in a ball, Um or I have like a fight or flight activation and my body feels freezing cold. Um, or, you know, I need a, you know, I need to just like lay down for a minute. So starting to build trust with our bodies by interesting ourselves, again, that attending masculine in what it is that is needed or wanted or what shape the body wants to take is I think building the bridge, you know, that we can walk across to come home to ourselves. Um, and then I would say, yeah, the last one would be what I call wearing the villain crown, which is what we talked about. So taking the opportunity to um, really experience yourself as bad and wrong, 
So if somebody is judging you or criticizing you, be it family or Instagram, uh, you know, commenter, can you try it on? Just put the crown on, wear it for a little bit, see what it's like to be the villain. None of us actually want to play the villain in our stories, right? We always want to be the victim or the hero, the victim or, or the savior, but it's important to feel into all the dimensions. And it's that that reclamation of that predatorial energy, that capacity to be bad and wrong, and really almost like, honestly, revel in it a bit, right? Like, yeah, maybe I am an asshole. Maybe I am a narcissist. Maybe I am, right? Like an attention-seeking whore, right? Um, maybe I am I'm trying to think of things people have said to me, like a bad dancer, right? Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. You know, it could be true. Um, And if you're in rhetorical dynamic with somebody, you could offer something like, you know, maybe you're right. You're not saying you are right. Say maybe you're right or I'll consider it, right? (laughs) And to come into that place, um, it's the hardest work there is. I'm making it sound really trite, but it's actually like literally the hardest work there is uh, because of our conditioning and, and societal programming. And it is the most liberating because you are alchemizing shame. And in doing so, you make contact with almost an immediate reservoir of creative energy that will make it worth it, so worth it, that every time somebody judges you or tells you that you should be womaning differently, you will get this little mischievous smirk on your face and you'll be excited to allow it to be true for just a moment and see, you know, what comes of that neutralization. I love all three. And I was just about to say before, so apologies if I uh, interrupted, was it's a great way to diffuse any kind of yeah any kind of conflict uh and i do i mean they they they're like the archetypes that you talk about and it's it's good to try on the different archetypes that are a, a part of who we are uh, and whether you want to label them good or bad i don't like to say it's good or bad it's just an experience right and once you allow oh. yourself to experience uh whatever has been presented like i said that's how we alchemize it and that's how we expand our consciousness as well totally. so kelly i just want to say Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of wisdom and everything that you do. Definitely have to get you back on the show. Thank you for your time and your energy. Thank you. Oh, it was such a pleasure. Thank you for this lovely conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please click on share show with your friends to help make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to get involved is to click on follow show or leave a review on iTunes so that we can give you a shout out on the show. If you have been a long time listener of the show, you know we are big on delivering content that is valuable for you. Content that will address your pain points. So if you have any questions or ideas for a podcast show, please reach out and we will create the content to meet your needs. Yes, you heard right. If you have topics, themes or 
or special guests that you want to hear from, please send us a note to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will create a show especially for you. Wherever you are in the world, sending you love, blessings and peace. Namaste. Namaste.